I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Today we are doing another episode of Ask the Coaches, where we asked you, our audience, on Instagram what questions you had for us, and we would address them in the podcast recorded today. So the first four questions that came in are the ones we will be answering on this podcast, and just to get a a preview of what is to come, I will say what the questions are, and then we'll go into more deeper dive later on in the podcast. Uh, So what sort of weekly mileage should someone training for a 3.30 marathon run? The next question was, when should I eat and drink during a run? And on what runs should I eat and drink? So we'll go into fueling for your runs and on what runs you should be practicing this. The next question is, why do I get a headache hours after my long run? So she's running early in the morning and she always gets a headache in the afternoon or night after her long runs. So we're going to be chatting about some of the factors that may be causing this and then some workarounds for things going forward to ensure that um, you're just checking these boxes as preventative ways to make sure we're not going down a slippery slope. Then the final question was steady state pace versus tempo pace versus threshold pace. So a lot of these tempo runs sound very similar and it can be very confusing to differentiate what is a tempo and what sort of tempo runs should you be doing, um, threshold versus steady state and all of those things. So we're going to do a deep dive into the different types of tempo runs that there are, um, when they should be used and how you can um, figure out what sort of paces to run for these runs. Before we kick off with the questions, I thought it would be interesting to share some stats. I'm working on a social media post for later this year, and some of these stats are just really interesting to keep things in perspective. So most of the people listening are runners, and I think it's just really great to stop and take a second to really appreciate the fact that your body's doing a lot for you and you're in one of the top percentiles of people out there. Most people are not runners, right? So these stats are 0.1% of the USA runs road races. So only 0.1% of people in the whole US run these road races. So if you're someone who's ran a road race, well, you're in the top 0.1% of people in the U.S., right? Um, Next was the most popular distance event in the USA is the 5K race, which really wasn't too surprising there, but that just goes to show if you've done races that are longer in duration, um, you're kind of like above average there. 
And when it comes to marathon finishers, only 4% of all marathon finishers qualify for the Boston Marathon. And that was a stat from 2019. So out of everyone who runs marathons, which is a very small percentage of people who do road races, um, only 4% of those people qualify for Boston. So it is a really big accomplishment um, and something that should be you know, really um, respect yourself if, if that's something that you uh, have accomplished or if that's something that you're accom- or hoping to accomplish in the future. Just know that your hard work um, will pay off. And I know sometimes on social media, on Instagram, it can seem like everyone qualifies for Boston and people make it look like it's so easy. But in reality, only 4% of all marathoners qualify. And that's like most people don't run marathons, right? So 0.1% of the U.S. run road races. Most people are doing 5Ks, and of all marathoners, only 4% qualify for Boston. So, Jason, what do you think of those stats? Are they surprising to you? Uh, Not really. It just puts it in perspective, like how much, you know, how fewer marathon opportunities there are compared to, like, 5K races. You know, a lot of local towns will just have their small, you know, um, small 5k because it's a lot easier to get a permit and shut down streets for 3.1 miles as opposed to 26. So, um, yeah, I think that I'd be interested to know what percentage of 5k runners have done a marathon to me, that would be a really cool stat to find out. Um, but I'm not too surprised about the 4%, um, of marathoners qualify for Boston. Um, so yeah, I think this, that's a fun stat though. It's always fun to think about numbers and I'm sure our sport has grown tremendously over the last like two decades, especially. Yeah, definitely. And I know whenever I do races where there's a marathon 5k, uh, 10k or half marathon situation, it seems like the marathon distance, um, is not always the popular distance. Most people, um, they don't want to sign up for the marathon unless it's a race that's known specifically for the marathon. Uh, but like the race that we did back in June, uh, about a month ago, um, they said, Oh yeah, we have 400 registrants in the half marathon and the 10 K and the marathon. And so I signed up for the marathon and then at packet pickup, they said, Oh, only 80 of the 400 are signed up for the marathon. So Mm. sometimes it's just, you know, marathons are a big deal. So if you're someone training for a marathon, just recognizing that it is a big deal, it's a big commitment and you should be super proud of yourself. And if you're not, well, that's awesome too, because most people aren't doing them right? right. So just know that you're, you're kind of, um, in the majority there. Uh, I also thought it would be interesting to shoot down some of these average times, right? So a lot of people are sometimes hard on themselves. They beat themselves up and, and you see all these super fast runners on social media and it seems like everyone's like super fast, right? But in reality, the average times for races, um, may, may surprise some people. So I thought we'd kick off with the average time for the 5k, uh, Do you want to take any guess as to what the average women's 5K finish time is, Jason? Wow. Um, I will guess, we'll guess 26 minutes. Right. I mean, that would be a good guess, but actually it's 40 minutes. 40 minutes is the average 5K finish time. So a lot of people probably right there with you. They're like, yeah, probably around 30 minutes. No, it's 40 minutes for women. And for men, it's 34 minutes average 5k time of all races. And this is across the world, right? So it's not just us stats. Um, knowing what you know about the 5k then, what do you think the average 10k finish time is for women? Um, well, what is that doubled? <laughs> probably, yeah, probably an hour and let's go with hour 30. An hour and 14 minutes. 
So it's actually a faster time. It makes sense because yeah, less people probably yeah yep. move up in distance. And okay. maybe we we have more walkers in the five k distance. Um, just with some of the cutoff times, mm-hmm. maybe I'm not sure. But yeah, so moving up in distance, we have uh, one hour, 14 minutes for women, average 10K time. And then for men, Mm -hmm. it's one hour. So one hour, average 10K time for men. Um, Now, what about the half marathon? What do you think? I'm still doing the math on that 10K. Um, (laughs) So, um, okay, so we're up to half now. Yeah. Um, We need my pace calculator here. I would say for women, it's probably... Um, I still think it's two hours because I feel like, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, I think it's two hours in about 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Two okay. hours, 15 minutes for women, average half marathon finish time. Um, and then for men, this is where kind of the divide really was shocking. It was 148 is mm. the average male um, half marathon finish time. Uh, so 148 for men and 215 for women in the half marathon and then moving up to the full wow. marathon i feel like you might know this one because this one's oh you don't okay wow. <laughs> i knew this one before i researched it so full marathon for women what do you think the average finish time is uh probably four hours 25 minutes 445 okay for women and then a 430 for for men so, you know, if your times are above that, you are above average, and, and that's awesome, right? And so this is just like a fun little stat thing, um, you know, always just keeping things in perspective. But the number one thing to know is of all those average race times, only 0.1% of the U.S. even runs races, right? So you're only comparing yourself to like 0.1% of the population. So you're out there, you're doing your thing, and it's just kind of cool to, to see what the average times are. Um, and maybe maybe surprising to some people if you spend a lot of time on social media following, uh, you know, runners. Sometimes it just seems like everyone is, is super fast um, and running times in like the seven, eight, sixes, whatever. But in reality, I think average paces are usually more in like the 10 plus minute range. So as we kick things off, um, we're going to start with that first question we had was coming from someone who wants to know what kind of weekly mileage someone should run if they are aiming to run a 330 marathon. And so people who are listening to this, maybe we could broaden the scale here, right? So someone wants to know what sort of weekly mileage they need to run to hit a specific time in a race distance. So regardless of what what time they're shooting for we just want to nail down some like basic principles here as to mileage and training for a marathon and what that's going to look like um so jason how would you recommend starting to approach that topic of how many miles do you need to really reach your potential in the marathon yeah i mean i'd want to do a deep dive on that person's background and look at you know number of number of marathons that they've done number of half marathons Um, get all their PRs from every distance and then just kind of look at like consistency over time like looking at the um, weekly mileage or monthly totals um, yearly totals and just kind of getting a a ballpark for how consistent this person has been because that uh, answer could be could look so different for several types of athletes who are trying to train for the same time right so um, you know I think I think we'll probably, um, depending on how much time we have to train, if if we're talking a 16 week block, you know, we will, we're going to start the athlete where they're at currently. So we can't just jump up in mileage, you know? So whatever they've been doing those like last four weeks leading into the training cycle, that's where we're going to start. But depending on those other factors I've mentioned already, that might determine how quick we jump up or how aggressive we are in terms of like building mileage, you know, adding in intensities, that sort of thing. Right. I always find these questions really interesting because people are always trying to figure out based on a result, how should I train based on the Mm -hmm. desired result that I want? How do I need to train? 
And I think if we just like flip the question on its head and just look at it more of a, okay, is your goal to get as fast as possible? All right, so we can do that and we're going to approach our training in that way. And so you can never like overstep. You can't like go to step 10 if you're at step one. You have to build slowly and Mm -hmm. your body's only gonna respond if you do a progressive overload. So if you skip, you know, steps one through four and you think, oh, you know, I wanna run 330, so I'm just gonna like up my mileage to 60 miles a week it's not going to do you any good if you're not ready to be at that weekly mileage. So there really is no specific weekly mileage that yields to a specific marathon result. And I can even share some stories there back in my past, you know, five, six years ago, um, I kind of got wrapped up in that mileage game, right? So maybe a little bit on social media, you see people run high mileage weeks and you think, oh, if I just run, you know, a certain weekly mileage, I will get a specific result. And, uh, almost embarrassed to admit that I did do a 101 mile week back in March of 2016 and my body sure could it hold up for 100 plus miles in a week it did it did hold up I did not get hurt Um, I really didn't even get burnt out from doing that but what it didn't do it didn't get me faster it did not provide me with some sort of magic breakthrough you know just because you hit a certain milestone that maybe um, elites were hitting it doesn't mean that all of a sudden like my race times indicated that and what actually happened was in fact I ran slightly slower um, for some of my races because instead of focusing on the correct workouts and building slowly I was just aiming at a very different goal so my goal was how many miles per week can I run it wasn't what should I do in my training to become faster, right? So we want to make right. sure we're asking the right question. So you should always be asking, what can I do in my training to become the fastest version of me possible? Instead of getting so caught up in, how can I um, hit a sub three hour marathon tomorrow? Or how can I get my Boston qualifier in, in 12 months from now? What do I need to do today? It's like, we can't really put a timeline on that because everyone's going to adapt differently. Some people can get a, a Boston qualifier within like a year of starting to run, right? Like they go on their first run, and less than a year later, they're running a Boston qualifier. Um, there are other individuals where it will take them 20 plus years and some people maybe just will never achieve it. And, and that's with putting in the work. So there's people that fall on every range of the spectrum. But I think the best question you can ask yourself is, how can I become a faster runner? What are the little things that I can be doing in my training to get that extra edge instead of saying, uh-uh, what weekly mileage do I need to run, right? So if you've been someone who's who's running 20 miles a week and that's your comfort zone, um, but you, you feel like you can do more and maybe it's time to do a little bit more, then maybe we're upping it, right? Maybe we're gonna start with that 10% increase per week um, during your marathon training cycle. But I think just being really aware that there's a lot of stress variables at play and we can't always rush the process even though I know people really want mm-hmm. to to get that result. So do you have anything to add to rushing the process or anything that I covered? Yeah, I mean, you said a lot of good things there. And the one thing that resonated with me was the kind of the steps, right, to get to your goal or whatever. And so if, you know, you have two, two people that are training for the same time, but they're starting at different points in the, mm-hmm. in the journey, someone might be starting at step one, the other person might be on step four, and they got to get to step 10 in order to hit that time goal. But um, you can't give the training, you can't give the exact same training to each person because one person's a little bit further along. Maybe they're, you know, they've just been running more consistently as of recently, and they could be very similar ability levels, but that that's why the training needs to be personalized so that um, the grad, the build is gradual and the person can 
can progress at a rate where their body has a chance to adapt to the training stimulus. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really fun to think about. And I know I used to do this way back in the day when like uh, Instagram Strava just came out, I'd see people on, um, social media posting about, um, their workouts and, um, you know, they would do these crazy workouts and they're fast marathoners similar to me. Um, and I had faster, like shorter distance times, like in the 5k and a half. So I thought I could handle doing the same type of workouts, but I kind of just, I kind of like skipped over a few steps and then I ended up injured. And so that was kind of, um, the first time I was able to really reflect on this and how important it is to just, um, not skip ahead right. and really focus on the small things you can do day to day to get better. And it's a lot of it just has to do with that solid base of training. Right. Um, and I know some of those people that you followed on social media, perhaps they had a more solid weekly mileage base. So, you know, if they've been consistently just grinding away at 60, 70 mile weeks and they're, you know, about the same pace as you in the marathon, it's like, well, their body's used to running that high mileage so they can handle doing some of those like longer workouts. So maybe they're doing an 18 miler with like 10 miles at marathon pace in there. I mean, that would not be unusual. That would be a pretty standard workout, but that's something you would have to build up to. So you, as someone who is running like 40 miles a week, and then trying to like jam that into your training somehow, it's really forced and like physically you could do it and you, you did do it, but then these injuries would happen or like you, you just didn't understand like why like you were getting injured and this other person wasn't, but what you didn't see was like the progression that those people, um, they needed to get there. And I know sometimes this happens with, this is why I'm not really like sharing a lot of my training on social media as much anymore. I still have a Strava account. Um, but even that it's hard for me to be sharing a lot of that because a lot of people will look at that and they will go, Oh, okay. You did, um, you did like a 18, 20 miler and you did like a 10 K in there at a marathon pace. Can I do that? And it's like, uh, yeah, like we can build up to doing some pace work, but the, what came first, right? Like the chicken or the egg, we have to make sure that you have the foundation there um, to, to even go 18 miles and make that feel easy first before we start adding in like doing 10 miles at, you know, marathon pace within there. So you have to have that like mileage foundation in place. And a lot of the times it it can take years to develop that. And so when you, you see someone on Strava who maybe has similar PRs or you run a similar easy pace or something like that, I'm not sure. Um, they see this other individual doing a workout and they think, all right, uh, that's the magic ticket. That's what I need to do in order to be at that level. But in reality, it's not. And I think it's just really important to remember, like you said, to train like an individual and make sure that you are doing the right workouts for you and where you're at in your journey. Because no one else is on the same journey that you're on. No one else is running exactly the same weekly mileage, has the exact same racing history, has the exact same Uh, training history so the type of workouts you've done in the past your body knows and it's used to doing so like if you've done five by one mile um like multiple times a year every year for 10 years uh you know that's very different than someone who has never even done three by one mile you wouldn't want to give those two individuals the same workouts even if they were at the same pace for let's say a marathon or a 5k time so you really have to look at that athlete history before you can um start to kind of make those sort of assessments so i do think it's really important to ask yourself the question what can i do today this week this month this year 
to reach my potential in the sport? And sometimes the answer isn't really, you know, it's not a sexy workout. It's not like one thing you're missing. It's not, oh, I need to go to the track and do speed workouts. Sometimes it's just slowing down on your easy days, making sure you're sticking to the plan, um, trusting the training. There's just a lot of small things. So is there anything that's small that you think gets overlooked on the journey to reaching these times when people hyper-focus on the times? Um, just the things that you mentioned. And, you know, another important thing to think about is I know for people that are kind of like, um, kind of like I am, where they're in and out um, with training, different phases of their life, and they maybe get more mm-hmm. serious. It's really important that you don't um, compare yourself and jump back into the same type of training you were doing years ago just because you want to get to that same level doesn't mean you're going to start at doing that same workout so kind of like comparing yourself to other people you shouldn't always compare yourself to previous versions of yourself in terms of your fitness either Um, but yeah the things that people I think overlook are just the day-to-day like um, I guess what I would say are kind of benchmarks that I that I set for myself throughout training or that I kind of um, learn to um, use as as serving points for continuing to build right so what i'm talking here is um, getting through like consistent weeks without having an injury and then um, just slowly like building the long run so maybe it's a 10 percent rule and um, and then maybe using some key workouts or time trials that you've done at shorter distances as kind of benchmark measurements to start to um, you know start to give you, I guess, the green light in terms of continuing to build or add in more. Yeah, I liked that with the comparison to the past because I do think most runners somewhere along the lines on their journey will have at least a minor setback where maybe they have to take a couple months off or what have you. Um, Myself, the biggest thing that I have that is relatable to that is coming back from pregnancy two times and trying to look at, oh, what did my training look like before I was pregnant? And then after baby's here, it's like, okay, I I cannot run hardly even like half as many miles. I'm not as fast. And if you try to replicate your training and try to jump steps to get there, um, you're going to end up discouraged, hurt all of the following. So I do think, like you said, reevaluating time trials, setting little benchmarks to get there and just giving yourself the time to grow into a new runner, right? So you weren't perfect in the past. There were probably training mistakes in the past. So by trying to like replicate that into the future, it's not always an ideal situation. And who you were in the past as an athlete and a runner is not who you are today. Um, And even as an example, like after I came back postpartum with my first child, this was after I had done that 101 mile week back, you know, five, six years ago. And I used to run very high mileage before I had kids. I would, I thought that's what my secret sauce was. I thought, oh, you know, I just work really hard, all of those things. Um, but then coming back postpartum, I realized actually, I don't think I need to be training as hard as I was. I think I was overdoing it with mileage. So giving yourself a chance to evaluate, hey, maybe in the past I wasn't really training as smart as I thought I was because at the time I was doing those trainings, I thought it was really smart, but it wasn't until I had that break that I got to realize like, hey, actually that wasn't really serving me. And so maybe you're coming back from a layoff and and most of the layoffs that people have are injury related. So chances are you have some evaluation that could be done and you can say, what caused this or what wasn't serving me in my previous training? Maybe that's dropping down your mileage. Maybe that's adding extra rest days. Um, There's so many factors within training that you can 
um, you know, cut out and eliminate. And most people, when they're thinking about what can they do to their training, they always think they want to add something. What can I add? What can I do more of? But sometimes it's a simple elimination and most people don't think, oh, I can just, you know, eliminate doing these redundant things that were not serving me. Um, and that honestly was something that led to a breakthrough in my training. And I set all of my PRs, um, within a year and a half of, of having, uh, my first child. So it's just really interesting. And I did that on half of the mileage. So I was mm-hmm. running like 50 miles a week versus the, the 70, 80s that I was trying to do. And it, it's just like, if you're open to having, um, those discussions with yourself and, and realizing like, what can I do today to make me faster? And you have to look at where you're at today and look at the steps. Where do I, I, what can I do today? Where can I go in the future? And don't focus on the past. Um, so before we move on to the next question, I know this one took a little longer than I thought, but do you have anything to add to that? Um, you know, I mean, you're the perfect example. I know I've seen you post a picture of uh, the weekly mileage totals and then how that equates to your PRs. And I think it was like 45, 65, 85 mile weeks. And so the 65 mile week, I think that produced the best PRs for you. And um, yeah, like you said, I have an athlete right now that comes to mind too, who um, training volume, like like total mileage is not where it was for the last marathon buildup for this person. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, I think she's hitting more impressive um, times in her workouts. Right. And we've had, a, you know, there's been a few like little fluke hiccups, um, you know, minor injuries that have, have flared up. So that's kind of been the reason for the lower mileage overall. But I think we're going to get her into a better spot going into her race. Um, you know, like you said, just running a little bit less, focusing more on the quality. Her body, her body is certainly handling it well. So I'm excited to see how, how the race plays out for this person. But um, yeah, I think each athlete is, is so different and we can't just like focus on a total mileage number. Totally. That was a great closure to that question. So the next question we're getting into is when should I eat and drink during a run and on what runs should I be eating and drinking? So this is a topic we're covering a lot on the social media feed and our previous podcast episode last week was all about um, fueling. So if you want to know more in detail about like how you should fuel using all the different gels and everything, we, we kind of covered that on the last episode that we did last week. But just like a quick summary, um, on runs that are over 90 minutes in duration, that is the time where you want to start fueling because that's when your glycogen stores start to get tapped into. Um, And like anything longer than that, you're really going to want to fuel. You can fuel on runs that are even shorter if you want to practice your fueling strategies. So for a lot of runners, running over 90 minutes can be a very daunting task. It's not something they've done frequently and that's maybe their longest run ever. So in that case, you might want to try a shorter run to start fueling so that you can see, does the fuel sit well with my stomach? Because the last thing you want to do on your longest run yet to date is start fueling also. So there's like a lot of added stress there. So you want to practice it on maybe a shorter run, like a five easy or something like that. Um, And you would maybe halfway through the run, just do a little bit of gel or goo or whatever you're going to fuel with. Some natural fueling options are dried apricots, raisins, um, dates. Some people have said applesauce packets, but they don't have as many carbs and um, calories as as people think that they do. So you would need like two applesauce packets 
per 45 minutes of running to get what you need nutritionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically speaking, I would say on runs over 90 minutes to consume your your fuel of choice. So maybe that's dates, but I don't I don't know. Um, I just use Huma gels. And I will do that every 30 to 45 minutes on every run over 90 minutes. If it's a run that's like 95 minutes or something, I, I, I personally do not. But it's something that you can can use. And you can even do it on shorter runs if you want, right? Um, so, Jason, do you have anything to add in terms of nutrition or drinking? Um, I mean, when we think about, you know, training for a marathon that's when um typically most people will start to experiment with fueling or even like their first half marathon because if they plan to be out there for more than you know 90 minutes or two hours um and you know i think the recommendations are um you know obviously we're all different sweat rates are different for people but we're losing usually about um, 20 ounces to to a liter of fluid per hour so you know, you have to think about how am I going to get that back in during my run mm-hmm. um, in terms of like um, water intake or, you know, Gatorade or whatever it is that you're drinking. Um, and then the salt, too, plays a role. And, um, you know, you're going to be looking to get in at least probably 500 milligrams an hour, if not upwards to a thousand, depending on, you know, the type of sweater you are. And so kind of just thinking about, you know, how am I getting that into? Am I going to be taking salt pills or am I going to rely on the Gatorade? Um, and then as, as far as carbs go, you know, the, the purpose for getting the, the, the gels typically is to get the carbs back in, right? Cause your muscles only have enough storage to, um, work for about 90 minutes or so, and then they're tapping out. So you want to, you know, refill probably about 50, you know, 50 to 80 grams of carbs you want to get per hour. So, you know, you think about that, that's at least two gels, if not three. So, right. And that definitely depends on your weight too. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm not sure the exact measurements, but if you're someone who maybe is a little bit heavier, you you might want to be consuming more calories than um, that and more carb intake. Um, so it's going to vary from athlete to athlete, but I would I would fuel early and often, right? So don't wait yeah. till you feel hungry. Um, I think there was a post I did on social media. Someone goes, oh, you know, I'm not hungry on my runs. And I'm like, well, I've never actually been hungry on a run. And sometimes during a marathon, I will have to like choke down a gel right. because you your body needs the fuel and you're not going to feel like eating something when you're you're racing, you know, for a time and you're running fast and that sort of thing, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to help you, right? So it's just something to practice getting in the habit of and the more you do it, like the more natural it's going to feel. Um, and it's definitely not like a miracle cure necessarily. So by feeling correctly, you're just going to allow your body to perform um, to its potential. And when I first started fueling, I thought it was going to be right. this thing that I took and like unicorns were going to come out. And like, <laughs> like I thought it was like a drug. I thought, oh, like I'm going to be able to just not train. I don't have to train like because I'm going to fuel But really what fueling is, is it just allows your body to not like hit a brick wall and crash and burn. So it's not going to do your training for you. It's going to allow you to train. It's going to allow you to get to, you know, mile 20 of your long run. If, you know, your last long run was 18 miles and and you're taking it easy, it's just going to allow you to to do what you want your body to do. Um, Not fueling would lead to things like maybe bonking or hitting the wall. Um, but that is to say, 
I have done marathons without fueling before. And so some people will be like, well, I'm fine. I don't need to fuel. And it's like, okay, that that's, it's fine if you don't want to fuel or you don't want to eat or whatever that is, but you're not going to be able to really reach your potential in the sport and in a marathon without fueling. It's just like physically your body performs better when it's fueled, especially when you're doing endurance events. So I know there's a lot of people who like the talk of, you know, doing cardio fasted and stuff like that. And it's like, well, sure. But at the same time, you have to look at it from a performance perspective, because if you're trying to perform and like reach your potential, I just think it's a little, it's a little different to me that, you know, someone wouldn't want to consume fuel. Cause it's like, you're right. probably going to eat after the run. So I, I think some of that's like a diet culture. People almost are like, Oh, you know, I don't, I don't need it. Or like I, I can skip it. Um, but really if you're trying to reach a performance time, I would try to, um, kind of see if you can get over that mm-hmm. barrier and, and start fueling, um, even starting with something really small, like, you know, a couple sips of your gel here and there just to yeah. allow your body to adapt to it. Um, but if you're someone who just like wants to not fuel for whatever reason, I mean, everyone has different goals, right? Like some people, they, they want to do, do things and like push their body to the absolute limit. It's like, you can do that. That's fine. But performance wise, if you talk to any registered dietitian, like there's a science behind, um, like why it's good for endurance athletes to be fueling and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then too, thinking about, you know, when to do, when to try these out, you kind of mentioned a, a little bit, but I, I was always someone that liked to bring them to like my weekday workouts as mm-hmm. well. And just have it like after the warm up or maybe halfway through, if I'm doing like mile repeats, you know, I'll take a gel after the second one or something like that, just because you want to, you know, make sure that you, whatever you're taking in is sitting well with you and you want to be confident in that product. So f- use your training experiment, find the products that work well for you. Um, yeah, do it on the long runs for sure. Experiment with trying something before the run, maybe like during the run. Um, and then, you know, don't always take the same thing that your friend's taking. If you guys are like a 40 minute difference in a marathon, you know, like if he's taking four or five gels, you might need six or seven if you're out there longer than when he is. So that's something to think about too. It's, it's all about the time you're out there for. It's not about, you know, um, I know two people running the same distance. They don't necessarily need the same fuel. Right. And I know we talked about the half marathon earlier and I think you do a gel for halves, right? Yeah. Yeah, I and do. So you ran a one thirteen half, you're taking one gel. I mean, you're out there for 73 minutes, you're taking I, a gel. But yeah. if someone's doing a three hour, you three hour half, oh, yeah. they'd be taking three or four gels, right? right. So right, same probably. distance, but different mm-hmm. feeling strategy for sure. And I've ran one thirteen a couple times. I ran it early back in my kind of half marathon days and I don't think I took any gel I just mm-hmm. took the water and the Gatorade and then I ran it you know later on and I per- I just prefer to have the gels now I think right. it just helps me feel stronger later in the race right yeah <clears throat> and and I've done under 130 and a half I think four or five times and so technically it's like I'm not dipping into glycogen storages but I always have a gel every time I've broken 130 just because I, I don't know, something about it and if it's a placebo effect, but I do believe that it actually, it does help because I'm, I'm right at that 90 minute threshold. So for me, maybe it's a little different than someone who's doing it in like 70 minutes or whatever. Um, but that being said, I do think it's something to address where if you're someone who was like, no, feeling's not for me, I don't need to do it. Like I mentioned before, um, I have ran marathons. I actually ran an ultra marathon without feeling and that's not something that I'm like 
advising at all. I'm, I'm actually advising completely against that. And the reason being is that I thought um, gels didn't sit well with me. I couldn't find the right nutrition to sit well with me. Um, so I guess if you're in that situation where you feel like every time you take a gel, like you gag or, you know, you're going to you feel like you're getting nauseous or you're going to throw up or whatever, I've had some negative experiences. So I definitely can relate. And like there is that like fear around um, trying to do that again. And things that helped me were starting on just a short run. So let's say it was going to be like a four or five mile, super easy run, like you just take the gel right before like a little bit and then and then run a little bit and when i take the gel i would just do like one little like squirt in my mouth and then um use water and then go on my run um and then i transitioned to like using it halfway through the run and and practicing doing that and giving your body a chance um and a little bit of a break from it too so if you are someone who's had like a super negative experience let's say during a marathon it just didn't sit well with you um maybe giving your body like a couple month break and then when you do try to reintroduce it or retrain for another marathon um try with like a different fuel source a different flavor just give your body like a kind of a reset because sometimes like it'll trigger um the same sort of reaction if you're if you're putting the same thing in your body because maybe it was just like a super hot marathon day like we did grandma's marathon in 2016 it got up to like 70, 70 something degrees and it was like 90% humidity and it was black flag conditions. I wasn't used to running in that heat. And so the flavor of gel that I was using for that race, like I just could never ever use again because of how I felt during that race. And it just makes me really queasy still thinking about it. So if you have had a negative experience, just know you're not alone and that you can kind of work towards fixing that Mm -hmm. problem. So the next question kind of ties into what we were just talking about um it said why do i get headaches hours after my long run days and she's running early in the morning she gets headaches in the p.m so this could be a lot of factors right so i would definitely if this is something that's occurring regularly um even outside of just your long run so if you're getting after like all of your runs or if you're getting them like frequently um check with your doctor because it could be that it's something completely not even related to running right like if you're getting a lot of headaches i've worked with people who have like chronic migraines and that sort of thing so there are um, treatment options for that and maybe it's it's something else that's going on but um if it's just only after these long runs and you're getting like the same type of kind of headaches um this is something that i used to experience when i first started running and there were a couple of things at play but the first thing that's coming to mind is um, like a dehydration, lack of hydration, mm-hmm. hydration situation, which is what ties into the previous question. So Jason, can you talk a little bit about hydration during long runs or just during runs in general and how to make sure you're not, um, getting dehydrated? Yeah. I mean, you know, think about, uh, how much more fluid we're losing during a period of, you know, let's say a two hour run as opposed to just two hours that go by doing nothing. Right. So we should be um, having to drink more to make up for that uh, on top of just what we would normally drink for those two hours. And so for the rest of the day, you're kind of playing catch up in terms of like, uh, kind of getting your body back to like the proper, um, uh, you know, the, I guess the ideal hydration ranges mm-hmm. and with hydration, I guess comes with the, you know, the balance of electrolytes. And I'm sure that if you're, if you're, you know, off in one, one or more of them, that could cause maybe some headaches as well. So maybe start thinking about, um, supplementing with some sort of electrolyte um but you know the i think in the past i've had this too and the only time it's the only time the only thing that comes to mind is i just didn't um 
maybe I sat around too much and then I didn't really, I kind of lost track of like how much I was eating and drinking. And so just making sure that, you know, you still have opportunities for movement throughout the day, like get up and maybe try a walk like later in the day, that sort of thing. See if, see if, you know, any of these small changes can help you kind of prevent these from happening in the future. Yes, getting those um, like imbalanced headaches from lack of whatever. I used to get really bad headaches after just like short runs um, when I was pregnant sometimes and tagging my OB about stuff like that. She was like, oh, it's probably like a magnesium deficiency. Try Mm -hmm. taking magnesium. And so I did and like they totally went away. So I, I would definitely recommend taking an a lot more electrolytes and then maybe it's a simple like supplementation with magnesium just talking um, to your doctor see if that's something that makes sense but a lot of the times we're deficient in something and then when we're out there in the hot sun um, we're sweating right we're literally like losing all of these electrolytes through our sweat and if we're not replenishing them we are going to you know feel like our body is sending us signals that like something's off balance something's not right um, so in this case, I would say definitely to, to work on the electrolytes and staying hydrated and really being diligent about that. So you might not really feel super thirsty or super hungry after a long run, or you might feel like you're drinking enough, but I mean, you really have to be like diligent about how much, um, you're putting your body and then making sure you are eating something too. Cause that can be another cause for, um, you know, headaches could be, you just haven't eaten enough in your body and you get into like hanger mode after, um, it finally hits you or whatever. But sometimes I can get headaches from, from not fueling enough as well. Um, like after a run. So it's like grab a snack right away, then eat a meal, even if you're not hungry. Right. So that's something to kind of kick, kick things off, kickstart things. So the next question is steady state pace first tempo pace, first threshold pace. So they want to know all about tempo runs. And I like to think of this as there are a lot of different ways you can do a tempo run. So tempo run is like this big classification. It's kind of like everyone knows what a dog is, right? But not everyone knows, you know, oh, there's like a black lab, there's German shepherd, like there's different classifications of dogs. So a tempo run can mean like so many different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't know what type of tempo you're doing. Um, so tempo run could be like, progression run so you could start at a marathon pace get down to like 10k pace that's a that's a type of tempo it's like an up tempo you're going at a faster pace you're trying to simulate some faster running and a stress response within your body Uh, another tempo you could do marathon pace tempo Uh, steady state tempo which is pretty similar to marathon pace um, work then there's threshold runs right So you could be doing um, threshold work and threshold is the pace you can race at for an hour. So that's really gonna vary from person to person. Generally speaking, it's about 30 seconds per mile slower than your 5K pace, but again, it varies. It's better to use like a VDOT calculator to figure out your threshold pace. And most of the time for threshold workouts, you're not really doing more than maybe 20, 30 minutes at a time of that. Um, A popular threshold workout might be Uh, two by two mile or four by one mile or something like that with minimal recovery. Um, So threshold is a much faster pace than a marathon pace or than a steady state tempo. Um, So are there any other type of tempos that are coming to your mind or or ways that people maybe are getting confused (laughs) with these? No, I mean, you you covered it pretty well, I think. Um, You know, your threshold pace is kind of a set value. Typically, it's, you know, we maybe give like a five second window, but you want to try to really hone in on that pace. And 
um, yeah, it's typically going to be 30 seconds or so faster than your, your marathon pace. Um, you know, and then that steady state pace, I would say typically like for me, if my marathon pace is 615, I would consider my steady state, you know, really anywhere between like 640 down to 615. So if I'm doing a steady state run, just kind of keep, keep the pace dialed into that range. Um, to me, when I, when I hear tempo, yeah, I I basically, like you said, there's so many variations to it and it depends on the, the duration that you're going to be running. And then also too, like, what is the goal, um, of the tempo? Like, is it your second workout of the week? Should it be a little more, um, reserved on the effort or is it your main workout? And we do want to press down all the way down to 10 K pace, like you said. So the, the tempo kind of, to me, kind of ranges in between the two. So think of like a, a scale where steady state would be on the left threshold on the right and then tempo kind of just like fills in between and it, you could just progress all the way through um, and even go past your threshold pace it just it just really depends totally there are so many variations to doing these workouts and i know some people are like oh my gosh which which one's the right one what, what do i do in training like analysis paralysis sort of situation you just want like a direct answer but in reality it's like varying things and, and knowing your athlete background knowing what event you're training for so many factors go into like knowing what type of tempos to run. And so that's why working with a coach can be really great because the coach evaluates all of those things for you and they know like what works well with athletes who are in a similar situation. They, they know um, what systems to stress. They have experience doing it. So if that's something that you're getting overwhelmed with or confused by, definitely chatting with a coach and getting a training plan that's made specifically for you and your goals in the future can be a huge game changer. And it takes that whole like analysis um, on your end out of things and you don't have to try to figure out what the best workouts are and all that sort of thing. Um, It is fun to to know and to understand about, you know, different types of tempos, but sometimes when you go to write the plan, it can be really hard to figure out what workouts you want to prescribe yourself if you've never really written a plan before. Um, So working with a coach can be great to help with that accountability aspect and to help you kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone. So if that's something you're interested in, we always do a free seven-day trial. You can fill out the form on our website, www.runforprs.com, and we can chat more about your athlete background and get you set up with a free seven-day trial. And then if you want, you can commit to one month of training. Everything is month-to-month here. And again, that's www.runforprs.com. Fill out the form there to get started on your free seven-day trial.